Welcome to another episode of Dad Is Not Now, changing the narrative for men of color and fatherhood, as well as changing the narrative on the things I care about. And what I care about today is where in the world is Carmen San Diego Game Show? Thank you, Defund TV, for sharing your content. Today is all about the greatest children's show, game show of all time. Where in the world is Carmen San Diego? From 1991 to 1985, this children's game show was the highest rated show on PBS, bigger than Sesame Street. This show was filled with good music, high energy, and it taught me geography. Before I get into the episode, I want to give a thank you to J1 Studio for sponsoring this episode of That Is Not A Now. J1 Studio is a black-owned company that makes comics, manga, novels, music, games, and events. For more information, go to www.j1studios.com. And now, the founder and CEO of J1 Studios has something special to say. So take it away, Jason. So for you, yeah, yeah. There whenever it matters and even more when you feel like it doesn't Protect you so you never feel like you wasn't Know I'm right alongside you, here but that I'm behind you But always got you, end of discussion, nothing means more First wanna offer his shoulders for what you preach for Thought I saw the eyes of the world until I seen yours And know that I ain't see a better view yet I'm with whatever, so don't ever you fret Know that you covered, not a hurdle or a heartbreak To change what a partake Cause none of them won't ever get comfortable in your walkway My job is to aware you, fully loaded Prepare you for all of the above that I'm never letting get near you. But still, in all, give you every advantage I found. Couldn't find a better fit for them along with my crown. And since the baton was passed, hopping down, cause feeling's not an option and dad is not a noun, not at all. Hey everybody, it's your boy Jay Rich. You know me, Spider-Man, all day, every day. Check it out. I'm making another game. Alright, so we know about my other game. VT Heroes, right? Deck building, fighting card game, 1v1, all that dope action. I wanted to change the genre up and see if I could do something else. So, I decided I wanted to get into the realm of shooters. You know, like Call of Duty, all that kind of stuff. But I want to turn it into a card game. Halfway. My crazy behind came up with Rival Aim. Yes, it's a 2 to 10 player arena shooter. Now check it out. You have melee attacks, ranged attacks. You have common loot, rare loot, legendary loot. You can run away. You can take cover. There's even a nuke. Let me stop myself right there. There's even a nuke that can kill almost everybody. I just took all the logic behind shooters and I put it to the simplicity of Uno. Wow. Crazy. There's going to be only three tiers. You can buy the game, you can get the game and the shirt, or you can get our super combo package where you can get the game, the shirt, a copy of VT Heroes, and a VT Heroes shirt. Now that right there, that's just, I mean, come on, help a brother out.
off of you Yeah, yo There whenever it matters and even more when you feel like it doesn't Protect you so you never feel like you wasn't Know I'm right alongside you, here but that I'm behind you But always got you, hinder discussion, nothing means more First one to offer his shoulders for what you preach for Thought I saw the eyes of the world until I seen yours And know that I ain't see a better view yet I'm with whatever, so don't ever you fret Know that you covered, not a hurdle or a heartbreak To change what a part take Cause none of them won't ever get comfortable in your walkway My job is to aware you, fully loaded Prepare you for all of the above that I'm never letting get near you. But still, I know, give you every advantage I found. Couldn't find a better fit for them, along with my crown. And since the baton was passed, hopping down, cause feeling's not an option, and dad is not a noun, not at all. Defunct TV is made possible by the Defunct Land Store. Go to defunctland.com slash store and use the code DefunctTV to get 15% off your order. This program was also made possible by viewers like you. Thank you. In 1980, brothers Doug and Gary Carlson founded their own computer software company named Broderbund. The Carlson brothers led Broderbund to develop many popular titles, including Choplifter, Gumball, Load Runner, Karate Ka, and The Print Shop. By 1983, Broderbund supported a staff of over 40 people and sold millions of dollars worth of software annually. Despite the stable business model, the Carlson brothers were nervous about one of their upcoming titles a new geography-based game named Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego. Lacking the confidence for a standalone release, the brothers opted to release the game alongside a world almanac. Despite the hesitation, Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego was a smash hit, immediately becoming the company's most popular title. While computer enthusiasts were impressed by the game's four-color graphics and innovative menu system, casual gamers were captivated by the globe-trotting, cat-and-mouse gameplay and mix of trivia and humor. The game saw players pursuing the notorious thief Carmen Sandiego and her gang of crooks throughout various countries and landmarks. Parents and teachers saw its value as a teaching tool, and the software was purchased for computer labs throughout the United States. By 1989, Carmen Sandiego was a budding franchise with the original game spawning four sequels, Where in the USA is Carmen Sandiego, Where in Europe is Carmen Sandiego, Where in Time is Carmen Sandiego, and Where in North Dakota is Carmen Sandiego. The Carmen Sandiego franchise was soon a significant portion of Broderbund's $45 million in annual sales. The company had created an iconic character, and it was not long until they looked into ways to expand the brand. Broderbund considered taking Carmen Sandiego from the computer screen to the television screen. One potential partner was Walt Disney Television. Producers from Disney had considered creating a Carmen Sandiego show for Disney Channel. This would not come to fruition, and Broderbund continued their search. Around this time, the company would receive a valuable piece of advice from a producer named Howard Blumenthal. Blumenthal had worked on shows for MTV and Nickelodeon, and when Broderbund asked him to consult on the development of a Carmen Sandiego series, he suggested an interesting strategy. Blumenthal did not believe that licensing the show was where the money was. Rather, the value of the television venture was national promotion of the Carmen Sandiego software. 
Blumenthal recommended that Broderbund sell the television rights to Carmen Sandiego to a public broadcasting service station, entrusting PBS to create a successful program and deliver it to their large audience. The price that Blumenthal advised Broderbund to sell the rights for? One dollar. By giving away the rights, the show was more likely to be produced by PBS. Blumenthal left Broderbund with the advice and went to work on other shows. It would take another few years, but Broderbund would eventually take his advice. Given the educational focus of PBS children's shows, Broderbund would emphasize the geography of the Carmen Sandiego series. The importance of the subject matter was highlighted by the release of a National Geographic survey that found that one in four Americans could not locate the Pacific Ocean on a map. With a public need for geography education and a cheap, semi-recognizable property of which to base a show, two PBS stations, WQED Pittsburgh and WGBH Boston, agreed to co-produce a pilot for a Carmen Sandiego television series. Broderbund opted to allow PBS to use the Carmen Sandiego name and concept for free, $1 less than Blumenthal had suggested. Broderbund would again reach out to Blumenthal for his help on the series, and he would join the project as a producer. PBS ordered 65 episodes of the show, with a total budget of around $3.5 million. The Carmen Sandiego name, character, and subject matter would not be the only elements taken from the computer software. The game aspect would be adapted as well, with the PBS show utilizing a game show format with adolescent contestants. The show's pilot episodes were shot at WQED's studios in Pittsburgh. It was immediately clear to the team that the show needed work. In the original pilots, the geography aspect of the game was educational, but it lacked the energy necessary to attract children. Blumenthal knew that the children of the early 1990s responded to quick, colorful content, like the shows found on MTV and Nickelodeon. After the lackluster pilot episodes, Blumenthal knew that he needed to inject more energy into the production, and in order to do this, he went straight to the source. Blumenthal personally interviewed over 900 kids to acquire a sense of what they would like to see in a show. The kids told him exactly what they wanted – adventure, silly characters, comedy, cool prizes, animation, and music. These elements were the exact energy the show was lacking. In order to craft these into a cohesive show, Blumenthal liked the idea of a 40s noir parody, integrating the genre throughout the first script for the game show. The format would feature three young contestants who would be classified as rookie detectives, assigned to hunt down Carmen Sandiego and her gang. They would report to the chief, the head of Acme CrimeNet, as well as the host, Acme's special agent in charge of training new recruits. With the new roles to fill, the crew began casting for the series, and the production was moved from Pittsburgh to New York. The show would find a new home at Chelsea Studios, where it would have plenty of room for a new, elaborate, interconnected set that featured CrimeNet headquarters, the chief's office, a city street, various international terminals, a giant floor map, and a studio audience of 200 kids. Greg Lee, a children's game show veteran that had worked as a contestant coordinator on Nickelodeon's Double Dare and as a co-host on Total Panic, was cast as the show's host. For the role of chief, Blumenthal fought to cast film and theater actress Lynn Thigpen, as he had imagined her for the role when he conceived it. However, Thigpen repeatedly turned down the opportunity due to the show's intense production schedule, as the production planned on shooting the show's 65 episodes in just three months. Blumenthal auditioned hundreds of actors for the role of chief, but it was clear to both him and Greg Lee that Thigpen was the best person for the job. The two met with the actress over brunch and were able to convince her that she was perfect for the part. Thigpen agreed to play Chief in the game show. The show was coming together quickly, but Blumenthal was still needing to integrate music into the show. He researched different musical styles, and he specifically wanted to integrate rap music into the program. 
It was during this investigation that Blumenthal would watch a Laserdisc of Spike Lee and company do it a cappella with his family. The PBS documentary, directed by Spike Lee, was focused on a cappella music, and it featured a small band of singers named Rockapella singing an original song, Zombie Jamboree. Blumenthal's wife suggested that he should use Rockapella's music for the Carmen Sandiego show, and he took her suggestion. Rockapella's music would become an integral part of the show's energy. The singers, Sean Altman, Scott Leonard, Elliot Kerman, and Barry Carl, also pulled double duty as supporting cast to Greg in many sketches. The only active volcano on mainland Europe today, 2,000 years ago, it swamped Pompeii. Now that's a clue, ladies and gentlemen. Rockapella. PBS assigned a portion of the show's budget for animated segments. So Blumenthal decided to represent Carmen and her crew of criminals as 2D animations created on a Macintosh computer. This approach was groundbreaking for the time and logistically challenging since there was no easy way to digitize the drawings. The workaround was sending the drawings through a fax machine and then converting them for use on the computer. The often crude drawings of Carmen and her gang, the group referred to as Vile, were weird, wacky, and a large source of the show's humor. Criminal mastermind Carmen Sandiego retained her appearance from the computer game with her trademark trench coat and fedora. Many original criminals were created for the show, including the Contessa, Patty Larceny, Robo Crook, Top Grunge, Vic the Slick, Eartha Brute, and the Double Trouble Twins. Each episode would feature a different crook, and the Acme Crime Net recruits pursued Carmen Sandiego in the finale of each show. The digitally animated scenes also served to retain the feel of the computer games. The final piece of the casting puzzle was the contestants. For every episode, three gumshoes joined Acme CrimeNet as new recruits. Blumenthal and the producers sought out kids between the ages of 9 and 14 who could handle the pressures of a television game show. They also made sure that the children had a strong knowledge of geography, having them take a written exam before being selected. Every episode began with the chief shouting over the rowdy child audience, All these people want to know, where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? Carmen Sandiego. And one of these people could find her. The chief then introduced the three contestants and the title of the episode's case, usually a pun on a common phrase. Once in the Acme offices, Greg entered, and after a very brief introduction, began the game. The chief communicated with contestants primarily via a television that Greg would tune. Cases for each episode involved different members of Carmen's gang stealing important cultural works and landmarks. In the first season, this included the Mona Lisa, the Great Wall of China, the Leaning Tower of Pisa, and even Abraham Lincoln's nose from Mount Rushmore. The chief showed footage that revealed the crook's history and the item that was stolen, before ordering the gumshoes to recover the stolen item, arrest the criminal, and find Carmen Sandiego. Here's your mission. Put Patty in the paddy wagon, Free the Declaration of Independence and then capture Carmen Sandiego. Greg. Greg then explained the rules of the round, and the chief returned briefly to provide a clue. Crispus Attucks was killed there in an infamous massacre, a black man who was the first victim of the Revolutionary War. Now this could be a tough search, especially along the small winding streets of Freedom Trail, but gumshoes, I know you can do it. 
Greg. Thanks, Chief. Okay, Gumshoes, name the city. The three contestants were asked to answer a multiple-choice map-based question and were awarded or deducted points based on their answers. Points on the show were referred to as crime bucks. The questions in the first round were sandwiched between player bios. And uh, uh, why do you like fishing so much? I can eat them. Oh, you like to eat fish? Okay, good. Short sketches. Oh, my. Oh, my. That was great. You're good. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, you should see my Hamlet. I'd love to see. Songs. So hop a plane to these islands off the Scotland coast. Tell them Nana Rap sent you. That's no boost. You got the Nana. <laughs> and guest agents. I don't have much time, so listen carefully. Brush up on your German. Most of these segments led into the next question. Halfway through the match, a frustrated chief would call Greg into her office, upset that he and the recruits had yet to capture the crook or San Diego. To motivate the detectives, she offered a free trip to anywhere in the contiguous United States, which was the show's grand prize. Find Carmen, and I will send you anywhere in the whole country. Well, we can't do that. Why not? Oh, uh, anywhere in the lower 48 states. Hey! Hey, it's still a heck of a deal! Heck of a deal! <laughs> Once back at the Acme office, Greg played a recording of a tapped phone call between Carmen and the crook of the day. The call would contain clues to the crook's next destination, and the trio of detectives would determine where to travel to next. Head for a South American country with two capital cities. Take the towers to the legal capital. Good thinking, Carmen. Acme won't figure us for anything legal. The final question of the first round displayed a map with three locations. Before revealing the question, the contestants could wager between zero and 50 crime bucks that they could answer the question correctly when asked. So take a look at this map and think about it. <laughs> At the end of the round, the lowest scoring gumshoe was eliminated from the competition, but they were not sent home empty-handed. The eliminated contestant was awarded an Acme travel kit, including a World Atlas, a year subscription to National Geographic World Magazine, an official Carmen San Diego watch, and other Carmen swag. The show's second round began with the chief debriefing the remaining detectives on a specific location that the crook was traveling to. She presented historical, geographical, and cultural information about the destination as a slide presentation. Greg and the recruits arrived at the terminal of the location, and a memory-style game featuring a large board was played. Contestants alternated revealing portions of the board in pursuit of the loot, the warrant, and the crook. The first to find all three and put the crook in jail advanced to the next and final round. A runner-up prize was awarded to the loser of the second round, which included the Acme travel kit, along with the addition of a pocket translator and a world band radio. Before starting the final round, the winning detective would write down their grand prize destination city for Greg. The captured crooks called the new agent to inform them of Carmen's location, narrowed down to either the United States, South America, Europe, Africa, or Asia. Carmen double-crossed me, so I'm gonna get even. Look for in Asia. And the chief rattled off a list of places Carmen may have traveled. Thailand, Cambodia, Malaysia, Indonesia, North Korea, Japan. I feel good. Greg, take Gregory to the map. Greg then took the contestant to a giant map of the location. The contestant had 45 seconds to race around the map 
placing light-up markers on the correct locations as Greg rattled off clues followed by the location name. Famous for Creole cooking, its capital is Baton Rouge, coming to Louisiana. That's it, you got three. If the contestants set the marker wrong, they got a second chance before moving on. Coming to Vietnam, Vietnam. No, try it again, try it again. No, try it again, come on, come up here. If a contestant could place seven markers in the correct position before time was up, they caught Carmen and won the grand prize. The prize location chosen by the contestants was only revealed when they won the game. and kids who didn't capture Carmen parted with a CD player and CDs from around the world, including the acapella soundtrack to the show. Win or lose, every episode ended with Greg and the contestant pointing to the camera and yelling the show's signature sign-off, Do It Rockapella, triggering the band to perform Carmen's title theme. Carmen San Diego. Production of the first season moved at a pace as frantic as the show itself. The entire 65-episode season would be shot in just six weeks, taping three to four episodes every workday. Being a PBS show, Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego aired without commercial interruptions, resulting in 27-minute episodes. For the first season, the cast and crew performed the episodes as if they were live. The exception was The Chief, whose interactions were limited to clue-giving and skits with Greg. Lynn Thigpen pre-recorded the Chief segments for each episode, and the videos were intercut and shown on monitors to the contestants throughout the show. The game itself evolved over the first season, changing point values and dropping the three clues for each location in the final game. Rockapella frequently had to create impromptu songs and parodies mere minutes before the taping of segments. She's left the trail that's long and true Just look at all that doggy do Stay Viewers could hear the group's distinctive voice throughout the show, including in the narration for Round Two's memory board. Elliot Bay. Elliot Bay. Nessie. Go ahead. Abortum. Abortum. The warrant. One more. Fisherman's Wharf. Fisherman's Wharf. Yeah, there it is. That's great. Okay. The season wrapped on schedule in May of 1991 and PBS was pleased with the product. Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego premiered on the afternoon of September 30, 1991, on PBS stations throughout the United States. That same night, PBS broadcast back-to-back -back episodes of the new show in its primetime slot. After this, the show aired Monday through Friday in the after-school block. Children across the country became instant fans of the show. The focus on high-energy fun paid off, and young viewers kept coming back for more. The show also drew a diverse audience, and the show itself was focused on diversity, both in its contestants and in its geography. Executive producer Kate Taylor explained, quote, We did not want to have a show that was culturally insensitive, that focused too much on the Western world. We didn't want a show that too narrowly defined what geography really is. The show was renewed for a second 65-episode season, moving production to the Kaufman Astoria Studios in Queens, the home of Sesame Street. This was not the only change made between seasons. In the early 1990s, massive geopolitical changes were happening throughout the world, and many maps and clues used during the first season were already out of date. Episodes after season one included the disclaimer, 
All geographic information was accurate as of the date this program was recorded. As countries changed their names or borders, the giant maps used on the show were updated, often overnight for recording the next day. The second season also expanded the grand prize to allow children to travel to anywhere in North America rather than just the contiguous United States. Blumenthal would also push for more silliness for the second season, encouraging the staff to watch shows like Animaniacs and Rocky and Bullwinkle for inspiration. Greg Lee also joined the writing staff in addition to his hosting duties, and the series built a world of recurring characters and gags, frequently played by a Rockapella member in some form. The show expanded Carmen's Gang of Crooks in Season 2 to include the space alien, Nimoy, and the superhero character, Wonder Rat. Season 2's first episode was the series' only double episode, where the contestants were paired with celebrity teammates Mayim Bialik, Tatiana Ali, and Jeremy Miller. Celebrities also supported the series throughout its run by pre-recording clips as special agents of Acme presenting clues to the players. Rhea Perlman, Sally Jesse Raphael, Walter Cronkite, Penn and Teller, Zap and Turbo, X the Owl, and Henrietta Pussycat, as performed by Mr. Rogers, and many more helped deliver clues on the show. Hello? Greg, Senator Joe Biden here. Well, hey, Senator. I just want to let you know that I propose a congressional resolution naming you the best detective of the year. In one case, Greg Lee's mother provided the information to surprise her son. Greg, oh my you've got to do something. This alien oh. came to town, and now we can't stop doing the tango. This is corn country, son, and farm folks have to get up uh, early. Just because Fred Astaire was yes, born in this state doesn't mean we all like dancing. What? Get here quick, Greg. Our feet can't hold out much longer. Can we please have a nice round of applause for the finest informant ever on this show? Ah. The second season also introduced a new game element called The Chase where contestants answered a quick progression of questions, leading to the crook's predicted destination. In some cases, the chase was preceded by an actual chase throughout the sets and audience before the questions were asked. In the final episode of Season 2, titled Gotta Get a Yeti, the series had its only geographical error, causing the correct answer to be considered wrong and noted as such in the end credits. The contestant, who had been eliminated in the first round, was invited to come back in Season 3, where he won the game and caught Carmen Sandiego in Asia. How do you feel? And you should feel good. You came back the second time, you did it. A few moments ago, you wrote down where you'd like to go. If you caught Carmen Sandiego, you did it. So that means you and a parent are going to... Let's get Florida! Season two of the show increased its audience size by 16%. By the end of 1992, the show was broadcasting on 92% of the 331 PBS transmitters in the United States. Approximately 5.4 million viewers watched at least once per week. The show won a Peabody Award as well as a Daytime Emmy for art direction and set design. Broderbund continued its success with its line of Carmen Sandiego software, releasing a deluxe version of the original game, along with officially licensed board games. Another Carmen Sandiego series was developed, this time an animated serial produced by DIC Animation called Where on Earth is Carmen Sandiego? This Saturday morning cartoon premiered on Fox's Fox Kids Network block in 1994. Where is Carmen Sandiego? Carmen Sandiego! 
The series followed Acme in their pursuit of Carmen Sandiego and Vile, and the animation incorporated elements from both the original game and the game show. The series would last for four seasons, for a total of 40 episodes, with the final episode premiering in 1999. Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego was renewed for a third season on PBS. PBS created a new prize program for season three to reward the viewers at home. The chief instructed kids to write down the loot and location of each episode on a postcard. After listing four episodes of info, the kids mailed in their postcard to Acme Crime Net. If correct, they entered into a drawing and five kids each day won a Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego t-shirt. International versions of the show were also developed for broadcast, mimicking the show style and friendly Chief and Greg relationship. Phil. Thanks, Chief. We'll do it. Seeing the Chief like that has just made me feel like I'm going through torch. Chat. Season 3 of Carmen Sandiego would also consist of 64 episodes, and it would air from September to December 1993. The show would be renewed for a fourth and fifth season of 50 episodes each, airing in 1994 and 1995 respectively. These seasons brought more recurring characters, including vile criminal Sarah Nade, and many alter egos for Greg Lee, including Acme Man, Greg's retired detective father, Gus Lee, and Phil the Barber. Huh? How about this? I call it my Marlin Brando, huh? Well, it looks good, but it smells a little fishy. <laughs> In the last taped episode of season five, Phil the Barber surprised the audience and Rockapella by cutting off Sean Altman's signature braided hair at the end of the show. Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego was a great success for PBS and the team that made it. But after five seasons, some believed it would be easier to secure funding for a new show rather than an existing one. Thus, Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego's final episode aired on December 22, 1995. But a spin-off game show, Where in Time is Carmen Sandiego, would air starting in October less than a year later. Bring back the Lynn Thigpen reprised her role as chief in the new series, but Greg Lee was replaced by Kevin Shinnick as the host of the new show, wherein time was retooled significantly from the original game show, instead taking place in a science fiction setting and focusing on world history rather than geography. Also, the vile characters were portrayed by actors instead of represented by animation. Last, everyone thinks vile is evil, which it is, but we need a new image. We need the new show's animation budget was instead spent on computer-generated 3D effects. Rockapello was no longer featured, and a new theme song was created for the show, performed by the show's new musical troupe, The Engine Crew. We're on the case and we're chasing her through history. Chrono Skimmer, engine's hot, our brain squadron leader will help us defeat her and bring back the loot to its rightful place in time. These are just a few of the many differences between the two shows. It's 1991. How many dollars are spent on advertising in the U.S.? 37 billion or 37 trillion? 37 billion! Yes, Gloria! You've energized the capture crystal. Now take it, Gloria, and run and place it in the chronolog chamber to capture Carmen Sandiego! Where in Time is Carmen Sandiego would last for two seasons, for a total of 115 episodes. 
Since the conclusion of Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego, the titular character has continued her cultural relevancy through consistent video game releases. Carmen Sandiego was also given a fourth television series on Netflix, which premiered in 2019 and ran for four seasons. This animated show incorporated elements from the original 90s animation, the computer games, and of course, the hit PBS game show. Yeah! Over the decades, geographical changes have made much of the trivia featured on Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego outdated and incorrect. Fans can find VHS rips of the series on YouTube, but there have been no official releases of the show, and likely won't be due to the now factual inaccuracies. The game show is well remembered for its elaborate theming, high energy, production value, and talented cast. It is considered not only one of PBS's greatest children's shows, but one of the greatest game shows created for children. Impressive considering it aired in the golden age of children's game shows. Above all, the show had a very specific goal of educating children on geography, a goal that it achieved and surpassed, resulting in not just education, but celebration of the world and its cultures. All of this wrapped inside a humorous, non-stop detective adventure. It is no wonder that the show was a hit, and it is obvious why millions of gumshoes tuned in every day to find out where in the world is Carmen Sandiego. All geographic information was accurate as of the date this program was recorded. Yeah, there whenever it matters and even more when you feel like it doesn't Protect you so you never feel like you wasn't Know I'm right alongside you, here but that I'm behind you But always got you, end of discussion, nothing means more First wanna offer his shoulders for what you preach for Thought I saw the eyes of the world until I seen yours And know that I ain't see a better view yet I'm with whatever, so don't ever you fret Know that you covered, not a hurdle or a heartbreak To change what a partake Cause none of them won't ever get comfortable in your walkway My job is to aware you, fully loaded, prepare you For all of the above that I'm never letting get near you But still in all, give you every advantage I found Couldn't find a better fit for them, along with my crown And since the baton was passed, I've been down Cause failing's not an option, and dad is not a noun, not at all my message to any dad, man, first off, know that, yeah, it, it is a hard job, but it's the greatest job in the world. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I wouldn't change anything about it. Everything you're doing from here on out, if it didn't have purpose before, now it has purpose. It's the most important thing you'll ever do. Just be a dad.